right, you're in, you're in John chapter 4. I hope by now, or you're getting there, and uh, in a few moments we'll uh, uh, read, starting in verse 31, uh, a passage that we had a ch chance to look at back three weeks ago, and uh, we're going to look, continue on a little bit and look a little further at what God has to say, and it's my prayer that uh, today, uh, once again, we will be stirred about, um, about missions and uh, you know, it was really appropriate, it seemed to me, that uh, we were able to extend our missions commitment to, day to today uh, because it gives me an opportunity to finish up some things that I felt like we needed to. And, um, and this is a very important topic because missions is the will of God. It's the heart of God. We already learned that from this passage, didn't we? Because Christ said this, his meat is to do the will of the Father. And what he had just finished doing was winning a lady to Christ, uh, helping a lady come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah, and uh, she got saved that day, and that is the will of the Father. And so we looked at that, and we had the opportunity to see that it should be our meat to do the will of the Father, and that's win people to Christ. We learned as well that God's meat is, the meat of the Father is missions. It's reaching a lost world, and today we're going to see how missions should affect our movement all right? It should affect our movement. It should lead us to do something. That's you and me. So let's pray. Ask God to help us as we look at this uh, text today. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for giving it to us. I, I am so uh, thankful that you have so abundantly blessed us in America that we are able to have a part in missions. And I am thankful for how you've worked in hearts and that we just were able once again to, to see the number that we were praying about and for exceeding, exceeded well above. And um, it is so wonderful to see how you have worked in hearts in this matter of giving to missions. And I pray that um, you, as you've already promised, would prove yourself faithful that this year those who committed would see how you uh, have how you provide, and that uh, it would be a blessing as they see the hand of God working to meet the need that they might give to missions and spread the gospel. And we pray that you would work uh, in a wonderful way in every gift that is given uh, for the cause of Christ, and may it lead to many people coming to faith in Christ this year and growing in their faith uh, because of the gifts that are given by God's people here. And we pray this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A preacher uh, in 1995 stood up before a congregation and he shared this story. It actually was the summer of 1995 and there was an event that had taken place just a couple months before that. In fact, I'm sure you will remember it as soon as I mention it because he said there are a few moments in recent American history that are more indelibly etched in our memories than the explosion at the federal office building in Oklahoma City in April of 1995. We've all got mental images of the twisted rubble, the, the terror and grief on victims' faces, and the heroic efforts of rescuers to get into the building to save survivors. I think we could also say 9-11 as well. Uh, there were also hero heroes behind the scenes as well. For example... 
there was a convention of restaurateurs taking place in a downtown hotel that day. And like so many people in Oklahoma City on that day, as soon as they heard about the explosion, as they heard about the rescue efforts, their plans changed. Rather than have the convention, they set it aside, the schedule, and they commandeered the hotel kitchen. And these people began to cook and prepare meals to the rescuers so rescuers could work continuously and uninterrupted and do the work that they needed to do. He said this, when there's a life or death rescue situation, it's that kind of teamwork that saves lives. It takes rescuers on the front lines and people who keep them on the front lines by caring for their needs. That is, in fact, the preacher said, exactly the same kind of teamwork that is so desperately needed in the greatest rescue mission in history. And that is rescuing spiritually dying people by getting the good news of Jesus Christ to them. People will die without Christ unless both parts of the team do whatever it takes. Frontline workers doing their work to save lives and people in the background doing what's necessary to provide for those workers so that the work might be done. As I read through the story, as I heard the story, as it was told, uh, I was challenged. I was challenged uh, as we were thinking about having our missions commitment Sunday and about the fact that you and I have a chance to be involved in helping those on the front line, like the Perros and like, uh, like the Morrises who are now uh, in language school and, and like the Rasmussens in, in Canada. We have the opportunity to meet needs and to provide for them so that they might take the gospel to those people. But you know, God also has given you and I the responsibility of carrying the gospel ourselves. And we know about that and we hear about that all the time because, well, it was the great commission that Jesus Christ gave before he left this earth a short time before when he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the job that God has given to every believer. We're not just supposed to give to missions. We're supposed to be involved in the work of winning people to Jesus Christ. And whether we want to call that missions work ourselves or as Pastor Lapino challenged us about the fact that missions is a little different than that, uh, it's still the matter of doing the work that God has called men to. It is our job. It is our task. And Jesus Christ taught us that in John chapter 4 when he shared these words. In the meanwhile, verse 31, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth, and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. 
We could continue to read this morning, but for the sake of being able to move on with the message, I want you to focus your attention really starting in verse 35 today. Jesus Christ, when he made the statement, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work, uh, taught us what the heart of God the Father is all about. It's about reaching people with the good news and helping them find eternal life. And we already spent time focusing on that. But Jesus didn't end by saying that statement. He continued on in verse 35. And many times the preaching is focused on verse 35 because it's a very familiar verse because Jesus Christ shares some truths about our our lives and about missions and about reaching people with the gospel. They're very important to know. So today I'd like you to see, starting in verse 35, about the thing that we need to know about his will. His will should affect our movement. It should. It should affect what we do on a daily basis. And if we're going to understand verse 35, and what Jesus said is he begins by saying, Say not ye, there are yet four months. We really need to do a few things. First, let's start by learning from Christ. All right? What has been going on up to this point? When he comes in verse 35 and he says, look, there's harvest field, and we need to look to the harvest, and we need to see it. And those things we'll talk about in a few moments. We have to understand that Jesus has already taught them, in a sense, what needs to be going on, what needs to be happening. We can learn from Jesus Christ. Do you remember what we shared with you and what we looked at back in chapter 4 as we looked at Jesus in his life? A number of things about him that we know, even though he was a witness and shared with the woman how she could have eternal life, there are some things we knew about him. First, we know that he was tired. He had been, he had been on a journey, and he was wearied from his journey. We know, at least we believe he was hungry, at least humanly he was hungry because the disciples went to buy food. Maybe he wasn't, they were, or whatever, and they thought he should be. No, I think they knew that he was hungry. So he's tired. He's hungry. We would probably assume he was thirsty since he asked the lady for drink. Uh, am I correct? So here's a person who has a lack of food, a lack of water, a lack of rest, and yet in verse 35, 34, he says, hey, I'm satisfied. Or actually in verse um, 32, I have meat to eat, you know, not of. My needs have been met. Well, how were his needs met? Do you know why his needs were met? Look, because he was looking at the harvest. We can learn from Jesus Christ. He was looking at the harvest. He wasn't seeing, he wasn't seeing just food that needs to be gotten and water that needs to be provided and rest that needs to be. He was looking out and he was seeing that there are people out there that need to hear the gospel. If we follow Jesus through the gospels, do you know we find him going without in a lot of different ways. And this is interesting because I, I never thought about it this way until I came to this passage and, and, and was considering the fact that Christ was thirsty, he was tired, he was hungry, and yet he was winning people to himself. He was sharing the gospel because those things were not as important as the Father's work. But here's the thing. He never got those things and yet he was satisfied. Now think about his life. And I ponder this, okay? There was at least one time, if not two or three times in the Gospels, you read about Jesus going out into a mountain to pray, and he prayed all night. And do you know, if you read on in those accounts, 
most every one of those records that the next day there were multitudes and Jesus taught them and he taught them all day. Now, you may not know this, but um, preachers use a lot of energy when they preach. You may not understand that, uh, but it's true. Now, some use more than others. I mean, some just... Some use more than others, but it takes a lot of energy to preach. Uh, and it's not just a matter of preaching with, with excitement or enthusiasm or whatever. It's just very draining to preach the Word of God because there's a lot going on. Now, you, you say, oh, I don't understand that. Um, well, maybe I'll have you come up here sometime and, and, uh, and learn, all right? But the truth is, it's very taxing. And yet, Jesus went uh, at least one, one time, if not two or three times, all night with any sleep, and then he preached most of the day, and it comes to the end of the day, I believe one of the, the accounts where he did that, he ends up providing food for the people because they hadn't had anything to eat. So, so think about this. Jesus went without food, he went without sleep, and yet he ministered all day to these people because they had a need to hear the truth of God's word, and it seemed like he was satisfied. Then we look at his life, and we look at the fact that the night before his death, he didn't get any rest at all. You, you can read about it. You read about the events. He went into the garden, and he went and prayed. His disciples got a little bit of sleep. <laughs> sleep on, right? Could you not watch with me? But what happened? At the end of that time, at the end of the prayer time, the soldiers came. Jesus got no rest. He didn't put him up in a hotel for a few hours so he could get some rest. Jesus got no rest, and yet he went through the events of the cross a good portion of the day for hours, not having had any rest the night before. How is it? Here, here's the truth that is, is amazingly pictured by Jesus Christ, that doing the work of the Father, whatever it may be, can satisfy even the basic needs that a human being has. Now, have you ever excused maybe doing God's work or whatever? Well, I'm awful tired. I'm not going to go to church today. I'm really tired. Well, I don't have time to read my Bible this morning because I got a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of times in life it's easy for us to get so caught up in what we have to get done and what we have to accomplish and these other things that we put aside the, the spiritual things of life and the important things of life in serving the Father and doing the will of the Father, and we don't realize that in reality we're taking away the help that we desperately need. And Jesus Christ pictures wonderfully for us how that doing the Father's work can be more satisfying than getting rest and getting food than getting his thirst quenched. And I've asked myself the question, this has been the challenge to me as I, as I thought through this truth, is am I that satisfied doing God's work? And do I find satisfaction in doing the will of the Father, even if it means giving up a few meals to pray? even if it means giving up doing what I want to do today so that someone might be able to hear the good news of the gospel. I mean, there are so many ways we can make application, but our movement should be affected from the life of Jesus Christ. Someone who found, I get this, 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And that my challenge to you this morning, uh, at least the challenge of the example of Jesus Christ is this, that you would learn to make your focus doing the will of the Father and find the satisfaction that comes in doing such. Learn from Jesus Christ. By the way, have you heard someone give testimony about that truth? Look, here's a guy who doesn't spend time daily reading his Bible. And his reasoning is, look, I, I just can't afford to lose any more sleep and I'm too busy in my day. I got too many things going on. And so uh, he gets, falls under about spending time in the Word of God on a daily basis, maybe through some revival meeting or, or just, uh, just falls under conviction about being faithful in that matter. And so he makes a decision he's going to get up a little bit earlier to read his Bible and to pray and to spend some time with God. And here's what he finds. When he makes that decision and when he actually does it, getting a half hour less sleep provides more strength for the day. You say, how is that? How could that be? How could a guy who maybe is used to getting eight hours of sleep or seven hours of sleep or six or five or four or three or whatever you happen to get, we're not going to ask any specifics around here as far as how much you got last night because I can already tell how much you got last night. <clears throat> mm -hmm, I can, all right? I can tell. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, so the, the, the fact of the matter is it's, uh, you, if, if you give up time in order to do those things which are spiritual and right, there is something that God does in a miraculous way that we can't explain. And you know, you will never understand that until you do it. I've heard people give testimony to the fact, well, I just didn't think I could fit it in my schedule. And when I did, I found, and I, I, I was concerned that I'd be too tired. But you know, when I got up earlier and I got less sleep, I actually felt more refreshed for the day. There's a reason why. Here's someone who says, I don't think we can give for missions. I don't think we can give to, to the cause of missions. I don't think we can give at all to church. I, don't, I can't tithe. I can't do what I should do in the matter of giving because we just don't have enough to make ends meet. And here's the thing that many have found throughout history. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands, millions of people have found that when you take the step of faith and you do what you should do, that God provides. So that when someone looks at their budget and they say, I don't know how in the world we'll ever do this. We can't make ends meet. Someone starts giving as they ought to the cause of Jesus Christ and to his work. And they find that when they get to the end of the month, they have enough to make ends meet. And it's an amazing thing. You see, when we make our focus the will of the Father, the Father takes care of what we need. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Do you know when Jesus Christ said that? After he had gone without food for 40 days and nights and Satan was tempting him by saying, you can take these stones and make bread. And Jesus said, I'm satisfied. Even though the scriptures tell us afterward, he hungered. Is that like one of those duh moments? Like, why did you even put that in scripture? You know, it's like, yeah, 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he hungered. Like, really? You had to tell me that. But Jesus said that he was satisfied. And what satisfies me is living by the word of the Father.
here, here's the truth. When people say, oh, well, I make, these people make sacrifices for God to go to the mission field. We hear it all the time. No one makes a sacrifice that God doesn't measure out equal, if, if not abundant, blessing. So that if I give up sleep to spend time in God's word, I'm not giving up sleep. God will strengthen. If I give up funds in order to, to do what I, I should in obedience to God's command and meet the needs of his work and, and his cause, I, you know what? I, I don't give up anything because God does give back in measure pressed down and running over because the Father has a way of meeting our needs when we focus on his will. That is a powerful truth, people. And it's taught to us in the example of Jesus Christ and it's taught to us by what he did and how he lived in this passage. And when he comes to verse 35 and he says, look, men, what you need to do and what we need to do because God put it in scripture for us as well is to look under the harvest and understand that, look, if we make sacrifices for the work of God, God will see to it that he takes care of meeting the need. That's why when someone says, well, I could never be a witness for Christ, you are mistaken. You can be a witness for Jesus Christ, not just because he said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive but because when you make your focus doing the will of the Father, the Father will take care of your need. Do you get that point? Learn that from Jesus Christ this morning. What he calls us to do in the matter of witnessing, what he calls us to do in the matter of giving, what he calls us to do in any area of life, whether it's reading the Bible or praying or just getting along with one another and following the Bible principles for relationships, whatever it may be, if you will follow his will, you can count on the Father meeting your need, whatever it may be, because the Father does that. He's in that kind of business. He rewards faith. And so we can learn from Jesus Christ, but we also need to listen to Christ because in verse 35, he said, say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. Listen to Christ. Have you ever excused witnessing because you didn't have time? Have, have you ever said, oh, man, I got an appointment and I know I'm having this conversation with this person and, and man, it really seems to be going well, but, but I got to be at the doctor's office at, or I got to be, I got to be here. Man, they're expecting me. And if I don't get on the road right now, I, do you realize that what Jesus says in verse 35 is that the harvest is waiting right now? And that there's not a better time than now to do the Father's work. Now, I am not saying that we shouldn't ignore schedules, that we shouldn't make plans. I'm not saying that you should be late for appointments all the time. I'm not saying you should be late for church. You shouldn't be. That's free. <clears throat> okay. Um, I'm not saying that it's, it's all right for us to go about and not have any scheduled things or, or planned things. But what I am saying is that if God opens a door of opportunity and it's involved in doing his will and sharing the gospel with someone, there's nothing more important than that. Think about this story. Just think about this story in John chapter 4. Do you realize that Sychar is never once again mentioned in Scripture? You can't find the word. You can't find the name of that city. Again, mentioned in Scripture. Now, um, 
Philip went to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, but he went to the city of Samaria, not to Sychar. So here's, as, as best we know, well, obviously in Acts chapter 8, they went everywhere preaching the gospel. So maybe someone went to Sychar, but we don't know that for a fact. So if Jesus didn't witness in John chapter 4, would the woman at the well be in heaven? If Jesus didn't take time out of his schedule when he was going to Galilee to have an effective ministry because everywhere he went, he had an effective ministry. There were multitudes that were following him. I'm busy. I got to get there. I got to get to Galilee. I got to take care of this. So the guys are bringing me some food. I've got a lot going on. Don't, don't you see how he could do what we do so many times in our lives? Come on, seriously. I've got so many things going on. I just can't give time to... And when we're saying I can't give time to this or that spiritual thing, we're making the wrong choice. And Jesus said, look, the harvest is white. Now, some suggest that when Jesus had them look, that the men of Samaria were coming out of the city. And by the way, they were. We read that. They, they, they came. And that all their, their white turbans were what Jesus Christ was referring to when he said, look, lift up your eyes and look on the harvest. We can't prove that. But what we do know is Jesus is saying there is a harvest. And here's a fact we know about harvest. You can only get a harvest the time when it's ready. And, and here's the truth. Um, you can reschedule an appointment, but you can't reschedule eternal life for someone. If they need to hear, they need to hear. And if they're white to harvest, let me tell you something. As far as the Father is concerned, there is nothing more important in your day than that person. And as I looked, I, I was thinking, well, Philip went to Samaria. That was one of my first thoughts I had. There had to be someone else that went to Sychar, but Sychar isn't found in the rest of the Bible. And it's fair for us to say there are a lot of people in that city that came to faith because Jesus was willing to put aside everything else and do the will of the Father. Does anyone find that challenging? So we not only can learn from his example, but we also need to listen to him and understand, look, there is a harvest. The harvest needs to be taken in when it's ready. And whenever that is, whenever God puts someone in our path that needs that message, there is nothing more important than doing that work. I'm telling you something. There's nothing more important than that. Nothing. And I, I, but, but I have to be honest, I don't always live that way. I don't. There are times I get so into my life that I fail to see that there may be someone who needs the gospel right now. And if I don't do my part, when would Jesus have another opportunity to present to the woman at the well the gospel? How many times would he ever travel through Samaria? Who else would? How many people that day heard the gospel that may never have heard the gospel because Jesus, even though he had personal needs that could have been met, laid them aside so that people might hear? 
Can I share with you what happened the day I was preparing this message? I, you know, God has a way of just driving home a point. I, I had just finished this point, listening to Christ. I'm starting to work on the next point when I hear a car in the lot. Someone gets out of their vehicle. They try the front door of the church. Well, um, my office is, is in the back there, and so um, I open the door of my office, and the, the guy looks at me, and, uh, and he says this. Do you have a couch you're selling? Now, I don't know about you, but that wasn't the thing I expected anyone to say to me when they were trying to get into the door of the church. I mean, that's the first time I've ever been asked that. I've been here 19 years. I've never had anyone come to the door and say, are you selling a couch? Um, I guess we could have, I could have sold the couch I have in my office. It would have been good. You know, we could have made some money or whatever. But, but I, so I said, I said uh, no, I'm sorry, I, I'm not. And then there's a pause. It's kind of awkward, you know. <laughs> and I said, do you have the right address? He said, this is 4256 Columbia Pike. Well, he's looking at his phone, and he apologizes for disrupting me, and he's still looking at his phone. And I say, again, I'm sorry. And he begins to walk away. I close the door. I come back to my desk. I sit down to get back to an illustration I was typing. And, and it's something just said hey, this was your chance. I mean, I wasn't expecting that. You don't normally have someone come in and pull on the door of the church building asking if you're selling a couch. This was your chance. Here I am pre preparing a message on sharing the gospel to anyone who needs to hear it. And I walked away. And I know, you're, like you usually say, you know, we, we know you're a rotten guy. I, I was. I, I realized I wasn't ready to share the gospel. And you know, that's often the problem. My eyes weren't on the harvest. It's the truth. I don't want to admit it, but it's the truth. My eyes weren't on the harvest. My eyes were on a message that needed to be prepared so I could tell you to go win souls. Does that not sound like terrible? And God put one at my doorstep. So, and I did. No, after I said, well, I said, I don't have a track. <laughs> I'm in the church. I don't have a track. I know, you're saying it, Brother I said, rotten guy. <laughs> so, so, I, so I hear that this car is still running. All right, Lord, thank you. Another chance. So, I pull out my drawer, I'm looking for a track, I find a track, and I, I go as fast as I can out the door, go over to the vehicle, I said, look, I don't have a couch to sell, but I do have something I can give you, and I'll help you to know how you can have eternal life. And I was thankful God gave me the opportunity. Now, a couple of minutes later, a couch was sold in the church parking lot. <laughs> I guess the guy agreed he was going to meet him here and didn't tell him it wasn't the church, he was going to bring his couch, whatever. So there's like business dealings out in the church parking lot. Thankfully, it was a couch and not something else, all right? <clears throat> but anyway, it just was a stark reminder to me that God gives me opportunities, that there is a harvest out there. But I have to see it. I have to lift up my eyes. And I need to understand that 
I don't know. Maybe the guy goes to church every week, but maybe, maybe that guy hasn't been in church for years. Maybe that guy has never had anyone share the gospel. Maybe he's been in a church where the gospel isn't preached. There's a lot of those. And perhaps I was doing a little sowing. Perhaps that tract will reap a harvest. I don't know. But I do know this, that God put that opportunity. And if I didn't take it, I failed him. And here's the truth. You've had something like that this week too. And maybe Jesus Christ wants you to hear the message of verse 35 that says, there's a harvest out there that's readily available. And if you miss your opportunity, those people won't ever hear. Maybe never again. And we've got a job to do. Lift up your eyes is the next thing to challenge ourselves about in verse 35. Just lift up your eyes. Do you walk with your head down? You walk with your head down all the time? Now, you can save yourself from tripping, you know, if you do that. I understand that physically. Humanly, sometimes it can turn out, turn out well. I found a $20 bill on the ground back a couple months ago. I, first time I ever found anything like that. What a blessing that was. Um, you know, but spiritually, walking with your head down is detrimental to the will of God. And as, as much as we don't want to deal with, do you realize that the things that are going on in our society, especially all the stuff about the virus, has done more to alienate people from people and maybe close doors of opportunity than anything else probably is, has happened in a long time because people are just staying to themselves now. Where you used to have maybe even conversations when you're out in public, you, you walk through Walmart now and no one, no one talks to you because people don't want to, what did you say? <laughs> or they just go about their business. And I don't know if, if the masks just give people this mentality that, and I'm just going to stay to myself, and I'm going to be by my, and I don't want to talk to people because let me get something or whatever. I, I don't know what's going on, but I do know this, that, um, that it's, it's stealing and keeping us maybe at times from just looking. And it may not be the mass that do it. It's just we've got to be looking. We really do. We just got to see that there, there is a world out there. There are people we're coming in contact with, and those people need to hear the gospel. And we don't know which ones they are. We need to be sensitive to the, lead, to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. But we have got to take the time to look. You know, a lady in John chapter 4 was saved because Jesus looked. And get this. We read this in verse 39, didn't we? What does it say in verse 39? Many of the Samaritans believed because of the words of the woman. Okay, where did the woman go? She went into Sychar, Right? Okay, she went into Sychar, talked to the men. Where did the disciples go to buy food? Sychar. They got there before she did. Who saw the harvest? Who saw the harvest? A lady that had been saved for minutes 
went back into the city. By the way, she didn't need water either. She left her water pot. She went back into the city and told, told all the men in the city. And they came out, and then many of them got saved. But it, it was the fact that, that a bunch of guys who were followers of Jesus Christ didn't look. And here, here's the truth. Seriously, I wonder if that scenario happens a lot of times today where a bunch of believers who have been saved for years have stopped looking. And someone who just trusts Christ goes out and wins a bunch of people to Jesus Christ right after they get saved. It doesn't always happen that way, I know. But sometimes it does. And you know what? Some say, yeah, yeah, that's great enthusiasm, isn't it? And others will say, yeah, but they'll, they'll get over it. That's sad. Because there was a lady who looked. And because of it, many came to, to Christ. She lifted up her eyes. Back in, um, there was a couple, uh, written, there was an article written back a while ago about a couple who lived in London 130 years ago. For the first 10 years of their marriage, the husband really was struggling in his Christian life because he desired greatly to be used of God, but he didn't know what God was calling him to do. He was saved. He wanted to please the Lord. He, he needed direction. It didn't seem to be coming. Well, his wife, a skillful Bible teacher, was invited to speak actually in London. And while they were there, one night, took a late night walk through London's East End, which was a slum area. He counted, and every fifth building was a, a pub. And when he looked in those pubs, he didn't go in. The doors were open in many of those. He observed that some of them had steps to the counter, and he found out why. So kids could go up and order drinks. And whether that was to order them to get them for their parents or to drink them themselves, they were catering to debauchery. And as he began to look at the scene around him and, and, and kind of, you know, mull it over and, and think it through, he came back and he said, Catherine, I found my calling. God wants us to reach the people that no other Christians are reaching. His name was William Booth, from which the Salvation Army ministry began. But the Salvation Army, Army ministry began because someone looked, because someone lifted up their eyes, because someone took time to say, there's a need. There's something that needs to be done. Lift up your eyes. Look on those around you. An old devotional calendar had this quote. I thought it was good. If I take one long, clear, sane look out beyond the microcosm of my tiny experience on a confused and reeling world filled with hearts hungering for they know not what, and if this look leaves me cold and unmoved, then it's time for some mighty heart searching in the presence of the God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you looked lately? Or have you just been so caught up in life, getting your car out of the 
off of the ice, out of the, out of the pileup, getting your car down the driveway, that you, that you failed to realize the neighbor who came over to offer their help. You failed to say anything, or, or maybe you helped someone else out, but you didn't help them out the way they needed to be helped. Look on those around you, and then live as a reaper. Verse 36, he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. And both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. God wants us to live as a reaper. That we would live as reapers, bringing in the harvest that is. It's interesting to me, but you study this passage out, and it's, it's unique. It's unique in the fact that God doesn't call them sowers here. Now, he does talk about sowing. Someone has to sow, but really his focus is on reapers in this passage, which is interesting because we always talk about soul winning as sowing and reaping, and in other scriptures it does, but this passage, it focuses on the matter of reaping. If you never saw that before, read it through. You'll see that to be true. The point to be made, at least one point to be made, is that there is a harvest that's waiting and there is reaping that needs to be done. There are people who are ripe for eternal life that need someone to share it with them. People that have already sown the truth, he already said that in the passage, by the way, they need a reaper to, to collect the fruit before it rots on the vine. And so what God wants us to do is determine, I'm going to be a reaper. I'm going to look, and I'm going to be a reaper. That's going to be my job. I'm going to live that way. Notice, if you would as well, one other thought. In verse 38, he said, I sent you to reap that wherein you bestowed no labor. And what are the next three words? Okay. Other men labored. Uh, uh, truth to be known, and we already we observe this in life, but a lot of times people need to hear the gospel many times before they ever come to faith in Christ. The woman at the well didn't, but, but many people do. It's just a fact. It's truth. Many times other people will be involved. But that little statement stood out to me because it reminded me the fact that if men don't do it, no one will. You say, well, what's the reason why? Because God has chosen not to send his angels. You know, God has multitudes and multitudes of angels. He has millions upon millions of angels that could do his bidding. And he could send them to this world to give a message to people that need to be saved, couldn't he? Hey, listen, if you don't believe that, then what was going on when Jesus was born and the angels went to the shepherds? He could. He could send, send angels to do this work of winning people to Christ, but he has chosen not to. He uses those that are in this room, that are part of the family of God, who already have eternal life, to tell other people how to have eternal life. If men don't labor, the harvest never comes and people are never reaped. If reapers don't reap, the fruit goes bad on the vine. I mean, it's so scriptive and so easy to understand and grasp. But sometimes we don't make a connection that that's talking about me. That's talking about me. That's my job. And what's so wonderful about this wonderful, this basic truth is that if you're human, you can do it. Isn't that good to know? Okay, so if you're human, would you raise your hand? If you're human, 
Okay. All right. Good. There's a there's a few. I know. I understand. Okay. But but if you're a human being, you can do this work. Because God empowers for it. Um, during the preparations for an evangelistic crusade in Latin America a few years back, um, there was a guy that came for biblical counseling courses. They, they were preparing for these meetings. Uh, they were planning to have a, a really big crusade uh, to win people to Christ. And they prepared for the meetings by having like a week-long sessions to train people, to deal with people and help them come to Christ. Well, a, a poor man, a very man showed up at this, um, this counseling uh, time, this training time. Now, um, he, was, he was not only um, poor, but he was illiterate. He, he couldn't read. Um, he was, uh, as well, um, he had no shoes. His clothes were thread, threadbare. He was uneducated. He wasn't the cleanest person. He was unshaven. Uh, he wasn't the sharpest guy, you know, as, as they would say. And it really was honestly unusual to see a man of that condition to come to an in-depth training session. But he did, and he came every night, and he came all the way through the training period, and he was preparing to counsel and help people at the meetings. Well, the leadership who were involved in this training time and everything else thought, well, we're just not going to give this guy a lot of opportunities, you know? And we'll just let other people do their work or whatever. Well, the meetings began, and one night, all the counselors were busy when a physician came forward. And this shabbily dressed man immediately went to the doctor and took him into a room for counseling. And uh, once the director, the guy who was in charge of this stuff, discovered what had happened, he was really concerned. But when the doctor came out, he had a smile on his face, and the director went to him personally and said, look, do you need any help? And the physician replied, no, thank you. This fellow helped me very much. The next day, the next evening, the doctor showed up with two of his colleagues. And when he came forward with those two colleagues, he said, I want to talk to the shoeless man. By the end of the week, that illiterate man had led four doctors and their wives to Jesus Christ. And the point to be learned is God needs nothing more than available servants. He uses humans of all kinds to reap his harvest. Will you do it? His will has plenty of motivation. Verses 36, 37, and 38 are, I got to tell you, the encouragement of soul winning. Because what they present to us uh, uh, actually, three different pictures. First of all, there's immediate wages for doing the work of reaping. And there is. You know, when you have a chance to lead someone to Christ or you have a chance to share the gospel, there's just something about it. There, there's, there's something it does for you. You can't explain it. You, you can't explain it. You can't explain the, the, you can't explain joy, can you? You just experience it. I don't know, we're not just talking about experiences, but, but there's something about doing the work of the Lord and being able to share the gospel, especially when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, to be able to, to reap some grain and to see someone put their faith in Jesus Christ. There is the immediate joy that comes in doing the work of God. But not only that, you find that in, in this passage, he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. In other words, he receives wages right now for what he's done. So he's done his work and, and, and the day is done, so he gets his pay and it's like, yeah! And that's what God says happens when you do this work. 
that there is an immediate reward that God brings to the, to the believer. Whether that's joy, it's just, it's just something you can't explain. But when you do the work of God, I, I've said it many times. I've gone out in visitation before. I've knocked on doors before. Didn't really want to do it, but come home and just feel good about what I did. And that wasn't because of me. It's just that's what God does. There's an immediate reward when we do the job of sharing the gospel and reaping. But not only is there immediate reward, according to the passage, there's a future reward, eternal reward, because those people have eternal life when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a long term in some cases because people don't necessarily get saved the first time they hear the gospel. So there's work that's being done that's leading to life eternal. So there's a reward now. There's a reward in, uh, of, in life to come, according to these verses. There's investment fruit, we'll call it. There's immediate wages. There's investment fruit. And then the Bible says this. If you look at verse, uh, let's see, verse 36, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may... Rejoice together, there's immense happiness. Have you ever heard someone talk about a win-win proposition? Okay, well, if the father is happy, and we know the angels rejoice over one sinner that repents, and the lost person rejoices, and the believer rejoices, we have a win-win-win-win situation when you share the gospel. No one loses. No one does it all. God's work of missions is to be done by God's people. So, have you seen the fruit? Have you looked? And are you doing anything about it? Jesus Christ did the work. And a woman, as best we know, who may have never, ever had a chance again to hear the gospel saved, and a bunch of people also came to faith in Christ. And he's calling on us to do the same. The question is, will you? You bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Just think.